0: The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. 25 this evening, we're looking at verses 15 through 28 of Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25, beginning in verse 15. Beloved, this is God's very word. With patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club, or a sword, or a sharp arrow. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda or vinegar on a wound. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain, and a back-biting tongue angry looks. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Like a muddy spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased that is blessing to it. Well, it's interesting to do a Google search on anything related to people, and one of the things that will come up is. How to deal with such and such a person. In fact, a lot of the types of people mentioned here in our passage is mentioned there in these Google searches. How to deal with a neighbor who comes over too much. How to deal with a slanderer or liar. How to deal with an unreliable or a treacherous person. Thankfully, we have something much better than Google today. I know if it's on the Internet, it has to be true, right? Our passage deals with, or it gives us wisdom for dealing with such people, and also our own spirits, so that we ourselves are good neighbors. And so four relationships that wisdom helps us with, the first is this: authority. Look at verse 15: "With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone." So we begin with the ruler, and you could, by extension, say this is those who are in authority, especially during this time, there was no obligation for a ruler to listen to you, but you must listen to the ruler. So there didn't seem like there was much of a chance, if any, in persuading one in authority. And yet the Word of God says otherwise. It says that he may be persuaded through patience. That is, if you use restraint. If you don't push the issue or force it. If you speak your case bit by bit over time, rather than mag-dumping on him all at once. There should also be much time talking with God, more time talking with him in prayer, than with this individual. And we may not find ourselves in the presence of a ruler, but we are all under some authority at some point in our life. And if one in authority can be persuaded through patience, then how much more those who are not in authority. And this method of using patience and restraint, rather than forcing the issue, nagging, using many words is illustrated in the second half of the verse through a, a through an unlikely scenario. A soft tongue will break a bone. A bone, obviously, is something that's hard, and it requires hard force to break it. So the fact that this says something soft can break it should grab our attention. And what this is saying is you may think that somebody who is hard to persuade needs harder force. Oh, here it says, let me tell you otherwise. It's actually something soft that works better. A soft tongue, a tongue that is not harsh or overbearing with the amount of words, nagging or manipulation, is actually far more effective. Now, a second relationship that wisdom helps us with is our neighbor, or just people in general. Verse 16, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you. Lest you have your fill of it and vomit it up. Now they didn't have sweets back then. They didn't have chocolate. They didn't have sugary treats. Honey was like a dessert back then, and you couldn't just go to the store and buy it. You'd go out in the forest, and you would happen upon it. And so, if you would happen upon this great discovery, the temptation would be: I'm going to, I'm going to feed my face as much as I can. Am I going to find this ever again? But even with that, the proverb says. Don't overindulge, lest you hate it. Well, the reason why he says this is to set up his point in verse 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So just as too much honey, despite it being a very good thing, can cause you to hate it to the point of wanting to vomit it up, so the case can be with your presence by your neighbor. Restraint and moderation is needed. Consideration of your neighbor is needed. Now we go from innocently creating trouble to intentionally doing so. Verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. So this proverb here compares using one's words with weapons of warfare. You may never imagine beating somebody to death with a club or shooting them to death. That would be horrifying for you to even think that you would do such a thing. Yet this is what happens when you speak lies about your neighbor. It destroys his reputation. It smears his good name, which is precious to a man. And this is why our culture engages in this quite often. It's really effective, but may we not be like the world, whose prince is the the power of the air whose name means slanderer. In verse nineteen, trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. So a treacherous man is someone who's unreliable, somebody who's unpredictable, as someone who often lies and betrays people. This is someone who may make a lot of promises but doesn't keep them. Not only are they unreliable when we need them, they're also painful to use like a bad tooth or a foot that is bad. Well, this is the way it is with an unfaithful man who's unreliable and can't be counted on. And I think it's important for us to keep in mind, this in mind not only for those whom we rely on, but also so that we ourselves are not like that. We may say, well, I know I said I would do this, but nah, they'll be fine. But we can actually uh, really put them out. And we can become that sprained ankle or bad tooth. And verse 20 gives us another way that we put people out, and that is, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, and like vinegar on soda, or it's probably could be rendered vinegar on a wound. So singing to somebody, trying to cheer them up who is suffering, is like taking away a coat, a coat for somebody who's already cold. And like pouring vinegar on a wound, which likely that's what the Hebrew means here. I think it's tantamount to our saying, pouring salt on a wound. It's like saying, oh, you're cold? Let me help you out. I'm here to help you by taking away your coat. Or let me pour some salt there on your wound. I am so helpful. It's someone who is going through adverse conditions and making it worse by telling them to, don't worry, just be happy. Oh, why are you not better yet? I remember years ago, Invited out on this this double date, where a good friend of mine was going to break some bad news to his fiance. I was like, wow, thank you so much for that double date. This is this is wonderful. And he was going to tell her that he was going to go to he's going to leave the state to go to school, and so he would be gone for several months, if not for uh several years. I mean, obviously that would be very hard news for her to hear. I don't think it was wise for him to do it, but it's his decision. And so he breaks that news to her, and of course uh, she gets angry. She tries to fight back tears, and she gets up and starts to walk out. And what does he do? He gets up, he cuts her off, and he starts to dance and sing a song to her. Let's just say that didn't go over very well. I remember about a year into my ministry, uh, my first ministry in Montana, uh, things got really rough, and uh, it's just to be expected in ministry. Now you just come to expect it. It's just part of ministry when you're at odds with the kingdom of darkness. And I I got away to a conference with other believers, and and one person I knew asked me how things are going. And I was honest, without giving details. I said, no, things are kind of rough, and I find myself discouraged. And this person's response was, well, God's sovereign, so it's all good. And I think for us Calvinists, this is the way we can break this verse here in Proverbs. Yes, God's sovereign. Yes, he's working out all things for good. But we're also called to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. We are not called to use God's sovereignty to sing a happy song to those who are suffering. But I think part of the reason why we try to cheer those up who are suffering is because we ourselves don't want to bear any sadness. And so just hurry up and cheer up. Or we really are not wise in how we help people. We don't want to see them sad. And so we want them to kind of hurry up and, and cheer up, uh, get back to normal. And so we just tell them to rejoice. We just tell them God is sovereign. We just tell them. Basically, you'll be okay rather than walking through that pain with them and bearing their sorrow, helping to bear it with them and acknowledging that things are hard and not putting a timetable on them when they should feel better. A third relationship that wisdom helps us with is uh, enemies or kind of on the other end of the spectrum, or within that spectrum, difficult people. Verses 21 through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So whereas the world is bloodthirsty for justice, wanting to pay people back, wanting to heap shame on their opponents, Scripture calls us to a different path. In these verses, which the Apostle Paul quotes in Romans 12, in the context of not taking our own revenge, but overcoming evil with good, we are called to love our enemies by meeting their needs. Now, oftentimes, when it comes to our enemies, we're content to just avoid them. Sure, I'm not going to actively attack them, but I'm certainly not going to interact with them or help them. There may not be an overt breaking of God's law, but our hearts are still filled with bitterness and anger. A grudge remains in our spirit. Now, there's some people that we need to avoid because of danger. But this is talking about somebody that we may have a grudge against. Somebody that has offended us or sinned against us. And oftentimes, rather than hatred and anger being repented of, it's masked. It's covered over. And so we avoid people rather than seeking to actively love them from the heart to meet their needs if we see they have a need, and if it's in our power to do so. But by God saying this here, doesn't it feel like perhaps our heart, our hurts don't matter to God? Or that He is unconcerned with the wrongs done to us? As if to say, just get over it. It's an injustice. Just, you just have to deal with it. Well, on the contrary, verse 22 gives us two encouragements to love our our enemies. The first is that we will heap burning coals on their head. Now, I don't think I need to explain to you that having a hot coal on your head would hurt. That would inflict terrible pain. And the Bible is saying this is exactly what you do when you meet the need of An enemy of yours. Now, it's obviously not literal, but a figure of speech. So, what does this mean? Well, this is an idiom referring to one feeling great shame. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, there was a ritual where a person would walk around with a brazier on their head, filled with hot coals, in order to convey that he feels a lot of shame. It's kind of similar to the uh, Israelites wearing sackcloth and ashes to express grief. And even though the Israelites did not participate in this, wearing coals on their head, yet they would understand what is meant here. They would cause their enemies to feel a great deal of shame by doing them good, meeting their needs when their enemy has done evil to them, to repay good for evil. That would cause them to feel a great deal of shame, to inflict pain on them, and them feeling shame like hot coals would be on a head. And oftentimes they even end up becoming kind to you. Charles Bridges says in his commentary, No man ever conquered his enemy's heart by revenge, but many have by love. And even if they do not acknowledge you or change, the second encouragement in this verse is that the Lord, the Lord will reward you. It does not say how the Lord will reward us, but we trust that he will and that it is a suitable reward. But greater motivation to love our enemies comes from the gospel in which we see how God has loved us, his enemies. I think we tend to forget that we were once enemies of God, that we hated God. Not that we necessarily expressed it in our hearts and raised our fists and said out loud, God, I hate you. But by virtue of living for ourselves, of breaking God's law, Romans 8, 7 says to not submit to God's law is to hate him. In 2 Samuel 12, when David disobeyed, by committing adultery, and by trying to cover it up. God said, why have you hated me by not keeping my word? We were not living for God. We were not living for His glory. We were falling around the prince of the power of the air. We were falling around this world. Be content to live in our sin. And that makes us enemies of God, children of wrath. And consider how God responded to us. He responded by giving up his only son for us, by having his son stand in our place as the enemy, as it were, taking our shame, taking our guilt. He responded to us enemies by loving us, giving his best when we were at our worst, adopting us as his beloved children, covering us with his own. Righteousness. If this is the way God has dealt with us, then we should deal with others in this same manner. Again, as Charles Bridges says, we are disciples of him who died for his enemies. Now we move on to those who are not necessarily enemies, but nevertheless difficult people or relationships. Verse 23 The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. So just as a north wind in their area was known to bring forth rain, so a backbiting tongue brings angry looks. That is, it brings conflict and anger. A backbiter is an idiom for someone who figuratively bites behind someone's back. That is, they speak evil of the person behind their back. They gossip, they slander, they reveal secrets about this person to diminish their reputation. And bring shame to their name, and this is a major cause behind anger and conflict—not the sole cause, but it is a pretty big one. And so, if there's conflict within a group, you can probably suspect that this is going on, as Proverbs 26:20 20 says, "For lack of fo- wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases." And then, verse 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now this has come up a few times already in Proverbs, and in fact this verse is an exact repeat of Proverbs 21.9. Uh, by rep- repetition, God is highlighting something important here. A wife can make life rather miserable for her husband and her family, so much so that it's better to go outside and live out in the elements in the corner of a roof than it is to live inside in the warmth and comfort of one's home. And so may we be spouses, both husband and wife, those who love, those who provide a comfortable and peaceful home for our spouse. And may we also consider how we ourselves make the marriage hard and not just point the finger at the other person. Now we move to what could have been a difficulty, but turns out to be good. Verse 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, we can all relate with this image. A cold drink when we are quite thirsty is so refreshing. Well, this is what it is like to receive good news from a far country country a far country could bring bad news such as surrender or prepare for war that is some of the news that a particular city could receive but good news includes things like we bring you peace we bring you gifts we want to enter into allegiance with you and how much greater and glorious is the news of great joy which came all the way from heaven. We who were enemies of God could hear from the King of Kings, you are cursed. I am against you. Prepare for my unimaginable wrath. He could have done that. He did not need to forgive. But instead, what does he do? He sends this message through his angel. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is good news that refreshes our soul, our thirsty souls, knowing that we have a wonderful and merciful God who delights to pardon sin, who delights to pardon transgression, and who does so for us wicked people who deserve nothing but His wrath. He is the one who came to preach peace to us who were far off. The fourth and final relationship that wisdom helps us with is personal, that is, dealing with our own hearts so that we play well with others. Verse 26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So a nice, pure spring, which is valuable to many, becomes corrupt when it gets muddied, when it gets filthy. It becomes useless. And this is the way it is when a righteous man gives way before the wicked. That is, he is walking in integrity, he's walking in righteousness, but he doesn't persevere and he gives Way to the wicked around him to do what they do. Uh, he caves to the pressure to follow them, maybe given into the fear of man, maybe he doesn't want to be judged or rejected, or he just falls into sin and does what the world does. It's easy for this to happen to any of us. And this is why we always need the grace of God, the grace of Christ to preserve us and thankfully to wash us clean. When we do fall to evil. Verse 27 It is not good to eat, eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. So, again, the proverb uses honey as an illustration. Honey is very good. But something that's good can become the opposite of good, it can become not good. So, also, it is actually not glorious to seek one's own glory. And this is an irony. The one who wants glory actually does not obtain it by trying to pursue it. People will not view someone who's boastful well. People will not give glory and praise to somebody somebody that's seeking it for himself. Now, this is someone who draws attention to himself, talks about himself, where he's the center of the conversation, speak of his great accomplishments, and has a hard time simply taking an interest in others. This is another way that relationships are strained. In verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So cities back then had large fortified walls in order to protect them from foreign invaders. To have that broken down would leave that city completely vulnerable to attacks. Well, the greatest conquests are over our own spirits. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who rules his spirit is mightier than he who takes a city. To not rule over our spirits, to not have self-control, leaves us susceptible to all sorts of sins and evil to give way to. Whether it's outbursts of angers, clamor, which is shouty, pride, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and all sorts of other sins. Self-control is like the wall around the city of our hearts. But this is not something that we are able to accomplish in our own strength, but rather something that only the Holy Spirit can produce in us. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And we only have the power of the Spirit through the work of Christ who unites us to our Lord Jesus who died for us, was buried for us, and was raised for us so that the Holy Spirit is Christ in us. Christ resurrected life in us, having put our old self to death, buried in the grave in baptism. And so only by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is Christ in us, are we able to have walls around our heart. And to live self controlled, prudent lives that is able to live wisely with those in authority, with our neighbors, with even our enemies and difficult people, and personally in our own spirits. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that we would be prudent people that truly love, that don't mask our sin, but truly repent from our hearts because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We truly are new. May we walk new. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com That is tbcwyoming.com